Hello and welcome to Real Talk for Mums. Two personal trainers coming together through birth trauma to bring laughs, tears and a lot of real talk around the health and well-being of mums. Unedited, raw and unapologetically ourselves, Mags and myself, Lara, aim to empower mums with the knowledge and support they deserve to live their best lives. Come join us for a new episode every week. Hello and welcome. We're talking to Courtney today, our clinical nutritionist, all about fussy eaters, when to wean your baby and infant deficiencies. And I've actually broken it up into two parts. So today is part one around fussy eaters and weaning. And we're going to be talking about how to help if you have a fussy eating baby, child, um, how to put in measures to prevent it from happening. And we're talking about when you should wean your baby and solids and baby led weaning and all of the trials and tribulations that come with it. Let's welcome Courtney. Um, we're going to get straight into it. We're going to talk about fussy eaters. Um, it seems to be across the board that people say, my kid's a fussy eater. Mm. But what actually is a fussy eater? And are they really? Or is it just that we need to work out foods and and the right way of introducing it? Yeah. So there's no universal definition for fussy eating, which makes mm. looking at research really hard. Because <laughs> um, if we had a definition, that would be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the definition that I think we've got closest to um, by Looming in some published research in 2004 was the unwillingness to eat familiar foods or try new foods, severe enough to interfere with daily routines to an extent that it's problematic to the parent-child or parent-child relationship. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at when we're looking at fussy eating. Um, fussy eating does appear on a scale. And just to be clear that today we're not talking about pediatric feeding disorders or RFID. That is an absolutely different kettle of fish, um, compared to just general kind of fussy eating. Um, when we're looking at, you know, what is normal and what's not normal, it's important to look at their development for their age and toddlers strive for autonomy um, and they have lower calorie needs than infants and they're also slower growing than infants. So sometimes it is our expectation, I guess. That, That's what I'm thinking maybe. <laughs> yeah, that comes into play there about whether it whether it is fussy eating or not and whether there is, a cause for concern and we all go through stages of liking foods and not liking particular foods yep definitely children are no different so it's important (laughs) to be like realistic with our expectations I guess of what we can expect from them um and you know if we look at their emotional development as well they're testing boundaries they're learning what they can say no to and their relationship with food is developing too Um, and ultimately we want to develop a healthy relationship with food so that's what it all comes down to when we're looking at feeding toddlers okay well that makes sense um it's it is the expectations isn't it because I guess we think oh hey I have everything that we are used to eating Mm. and they they eat like a small amount you're like oh okay well that makes sense because they don't need as much um what so my son would be um example of I would say 
a fussy eater, but maybe not. Um, maybe he's just trying um, different things. And he used to eat like a punnet of blueberries a day. And now he's like, doesn't want them at all. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you prevent kids becoming fussy eaters? Fussy eaters, I say in air yeah. brackets, because kind of we still haven't worked out really what a fussy eater is. Step back a bit, actually. Let's go to say if they had um, a variety of food on their plate and they're a toddler and they just um, they would just eat one thing on there. Um, would that be a fussy eater or would that be they just want to eat that one thing? I think it's so contextual. Yeah. I wouldn't particularly consider that fussy eating because like they might be sick. So they don't feel like they don't need a lot of food at that time or they might have had a lot to eat during the day. So they don't want as much at dinner. So there's all these kind of factors that can play into it. I think, you know, what it comes down to is what I was saying before about like an unwillingness to eat or try new foods is a big thing, particularly if it's severe enough that it's impacting daily routines and that it's problematic to the parent, the child, or the parent-child relationship. So and... I've I've heard that some mums struggle with, oh, my kid only eats chicken nuggets and chips. That's all they'll want to eat. That I would then be looking at. We need to broaden, you know, our intake of foods um, in that context. How would you slowly help them broaden that? Is it, because um, I've read that you could put the foods that they no, and they're comfortable eating on a plate and then just introduce one new food on their plate so it's not overwhelming or is it that you is that wrong do you you meant to give all of the variety and then one thing that they love it really depends on the child and what they're going to tolerate mm. um I would definitely be offering their safe food so foods they're going to like alongside new foods because then you know they're going to eat um and it takes the pressure off them trying new foods as well. Um, having them involved in food preparation, food shopping, makes a big impact on them wanting to try new foods. So it starts before dinner is on the table. Yeah, it makes and sense. It also takes 15 to 20 exposures of a food before a, children, a child will like it. Uh-huh. It's very unusual for a child to like a food the first time they try it. Um, and the analogy I like to use is coffee or red wine. Not many people like that the first time they try it. It's, no. It's very like, yeah, and it's, it's an unrealistic expectation for us to put a new food in front of a toddler and expect it to be their new favorite. Okay. So, so it, slowly introduce it. Yeah. And it, those exposures can be through play, can be through touch, smell all those kind of sensory experiences with that they might have you know a day where they just pick it up and smell it and go I don't want to try that that's still an exposure to that food that is developing their experiences with it I guess so don't put it on them that I'm not going to give them that food because they don't like it especially mm. don't say it in front of them because Absolutely. then I, I, I believe that then they'll link it and be like, no, I don't like that food because mommy says that I don't like it. So I'm not going to try it. Absolutely. And like I've heard other nutritionists say it, don't yuck their yum. And like it's, it goes both ways. Like they yeah. will take on everything that's being said around food. And like I did make some notes around the way we talk about food and it's not good food or bad food. There is food for all, there is room for all foods 
in a healthy diet. It's about discussing in an age appropriate way, which will obviously change as they get older, but we can discuss the colors. Is it sweet? Is it sour? Is it crunchy? Is it soft? Those kind of words to discuss food rather than, do you like it? Do you not like it? Like, which puts a lot of pressure on them in that situation. That's a great one. Um, Cause I, I can't, I do believe that if we've got our own food issues, then we will put it on the kids without being aware of it. So when we become aware then we can start um, not doing that. Um, like I'm very aware that I hate mushrooms and liver, but I really, if I introduce it, I just like, this is a mushroom. This is liver. I yes. don't just like, yeah. I don't like it, but here, try it. <laughs> You're like, absolutely. Well, I'm not going to like it then. Mummy doesn't like it. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah, like you're not really setting it up. For no, I'm not selling it well, am it. I? <laughs> yeah, you're not selling it very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, are there any good strategies that you would say, like that you would help prevent them from being fussy in the first place? Fussy still in air brackets. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Um, there was some interesting research done a couple of years ago that flavors of foods actually transfer through the amniotic fluid. So infants are tasting foods from about 16 weeks gestation. Nice. And okay. And so they did some research with different flavors. Um, so they started off looking at quite strong flavors um, like aniseed and garlic. And then they did some studies with things like carrot. Um, and so they had a group of pregnant women who consumed those foods throughout their pregnancy. And they had a group of women who didn't consume those foods during pregnancy. And when their children started solids, they reintroduced those foods and the outcome of the study was based on one, how much the infants ate and two, their facial reactions um, to the foods, <laughs> which I think was just brilliant. Um, so uh, the, the children who had been exposed to these foods during pregnancy consumed more of it and had more favorable facial reactions. Mm, um, okay. So there is some evidence that the foods you consume during pregnancy and eating a wide range of foods during pregnancy does support that intake of solids later on. Um, and it also, like the environment you set around introducing solids um, and the way you introduce foods also has an impact on preventing fussy eating. And you know, it's also, we also talk about it in terms of managing and addressing fussy eating as well. Um, where like we know that family meal times um are known to increase the amount that children eat. Um, things like how foods are served. So the division of responsibility is a really interesting model to look at where the parent is responsible for what to serve, when to serve and where to serve the meal. So what's for dinner, when we're having dinner and where we're having it. The child is responsible about how much they eat and what they eat. So they might not eat everything on their plate and that's okay. And when we're looking at, you know, particularly toddlers, they want control. They want autonomy. And so letting them, you know, you're not going to give them a choice of like, you're not a chef in a restaurant cooking whatever they want for dinner. But if it's a case of, you know, we're having peas and corn, how much do you want on your plate? that gives them a sense of control over something 
Mm, yeah, okay. And the caveat on this is that division of control might not be suitable for neurodivergent children um, and children with very few safe foods. So that is something else that is a different kettle of fish and when there's sensory issues that needs to be addressed sensibly as well. Mm, okay. Um, so that would be great in that what would you how would you introduce say those sugary foods those treats yeah because you don't want it to be linked to a treat um do you do you just put it all on their plate yeah put it on the plate with everything here's your food yeah here's your food they can choose whether they eat it first last in the middle like but taking away that special nature of it takes away the desire for like and it's human nature like we're all we're all the same and if Mm. we don't make it as special they're less likely to ask and demand for it as often because it's just another food yeah what would you say if someone was just well that they chose to eat that food and that's the only food that they ate constantly say like a Mm. donut all the time how would you help them come back yeah so like yeah so I I worked with a child last year and she like she was a bit older than the age group we're talking about today she was in primary school and her entire diet was made up of foods like that um and you know this this fussy eating had been going on for five or six years um so her palate was very adjusted to those foods so we had to slowly transition her off those foods things like having rainbow popcorn having mixing rainbow popcorn in with plain popcorn watering down her cordial watering down juices so Mm. that her palate wasn't getting a hit of sugars and flavorings every time she ate or drank something so that she could actually tolerate real like whole foods because no one wants to eat an apple when they're eating donuts every day like yeah (laughs) it's such a different sweetness isn't it absolutely so it's a matter of transitioning across it's not something that happens overnight yeah that's crazy because I I think that's probably quite a big thing that there's a lot of um kids eating this sort of sugar and then Mm. you have to slowly wean them out of it because of their palate change absolutely um what do you think about uh I know that we spoke about this because I messaged you saying when should you introduce these solids Mm. and there's a bit of controversy around it should has to be from six months old otherwise there's gut issues but then I was chatting to you like is that a thing is there gut issues or is it the sorts of foods that we're eating Mm. like can you share a bit about when they should be introduced of course um so the research suggests that before three months can have a negative effect on gut health so we want to allow that microbiome to develop as much as we can before we introduce solids. But obviously there's a need for solids to be introduced to meet the nutritional requirements as well. Um, so the current recommendation is to not introduce solids before four months. However, before four and six months, depending on the readiness of your child, is okay. So the signs that we're looking for that your baby is ready for solids is that they have good head and neck control and can sit upright when supported. They show an interest in food. So this might be that they're looking at what's on your plate. They're reaching out for your food and they open their mouth when they're offered food. Mm-hmm. So they're showing, you know, that they want it as well. Yeah. Um, 
then you can start introducing solids. Um, if there is constipation, just be aware that the trend, their gut might not be re- ready for that transition. Um, so you might need to slow down on how many, like how much solids you're giving um, or just hold off a little bit longer. Is there a rule with how much you should introduce to start with? And is there a rule on the type of food? Um, prioritizing iron rich foods to start with is very important. Okay. Um, because baby still has such a need or, you know, yeah, there's still a baby at that point has such a need for iron still. Um, in terms of how much milk is still their primary or formula is still their primary source of nutrition. So food for one is just for fun. Um, for food under one, sorry, is just for fun. So you still want them to be exposed to it because it's not obviously they turn one and we stop giving them milk and we only give them solids. Um, but keep that milk up as their primary nutrition and solids just supplement that gradually. Okay. Um, starting solids has some great resources on feeding schedules and how much to feed as well. And what if they don't eat any solids until they're like later past six months one is that when it becomes an issue with fussy eating because they're not used to the textures or is that Mm. not a thing yeah so even if purees are being introduced um versus baby led weeding which i think we're going to discuss soon yeah um trying to suggest something introduce some finger food by about nine months is important to have exposure to those textures it's also about developing the muscles that are used throughout the mouth for chewing, which are then used for speech as well. Okay. So it shouldn't be later than six months that you're introducing something, mm. really. Yeah, you want to be introducing something around six months. Mm. Um, if your child isn't showing any signs of readiness around six months, it's probably time to check in with your healthcare provider um, to see if anything needs to be addressed there. Okay. And your take on solids versus baby led weaning? Because I was so confused with my firstborn of what's the best thing to do. It kind of looked fun with the baby led weaning, but then I also thought they're not getting anything in. So is it a good idea or not? And some people are very pro baby led weaning. It should only be that way. And others are like, I can't deal with the mess. I'm just going to spoon feed. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I mean, it does, as we said, it does um, like in terms of that that six to nine month stage, it doesn't really matter which way you go. Um, as long as baby is getting exposure to different textures, that's great. It depends on what you're comfortable with as well. Um, because there's obviously a higher risk of choking with baby led weaning. So some people are more comfortable with purees at that stage. There is some discussion that baby led weaning might reduce fussiness because they do have more sensory exposure. Um, but that research is still very much in its infancy. So it really does depend on what you're comfortable with, provided that you know they're getting exposure to different textures and they're meeting their nutritional intake. Okay. Hiding vegetables isn't encouraged. Um, and that's because... <laughs> Panic! Um, that's because <laughs> I can hear every mum being like, oh, I'm going to listen to this one. It actually doesn't teach your child about vegetables. And so... 
we will often see in clinic that they'll be a child and you're like, do you like pumpkin? They're like, no. And mum's like, you eat pumpkin when it's mashed in with potatoes and sweet potatoes and corn. And, and I'm like, well, they don't even know what pumpkin tastes like. like. Is it like, is it like when you buy someone a drink and they thought it was, it doesn't have alcohol in it and you've put alcohol in it and you literally just poison, yeah. no, not poison, <laughs> but you know, just like not open. <laughs> Absolutely. And so if they don't know they're eating vegetables, they don't know that they like vegetables. They don't know that that's what they're eating and it doesn't help them later on when they're developing that relationship with food when they're not eating puree all like purees all the time and things aren't being hidden um yeah. to then eat those foods in its like more structured form where it's you know steamed or roasted pumpkin um that they actually do like it they just don't know that they do so that makes sense. <laughs> having those conversations and not hiding them in addition i've actually done some research by dr megan rossi who's a gut health professional in the uk she mentions to help with fussy eating um, if you get this it's worth introducing the super six groups of plants and trying to aim for that first year which can be a tricky um, understandably but it's worth aiming for um, in the long run Um, so talking about legumes such as lentils and butter beans vegetables fruit whole grains such as oats and barley nuts seeds herbs and spices Uh, the latter will help develop their taste buds and so hitting all of these in the first year is a tricky one but it's worth trying Um, to help prevent these fussy eaters. I just wanted to add about the introducing solids and from the research it shows a lot of people saying from about six months old. However, there's lots of caveats and as we explained earlier, looking at your child as an individual, if you're still not sure and you're still worried, you can actually go and see someone, a paediatrician or a specialist, naturopath, functional doctor and understand what your child may need when they should be on solids. If you're still confused, uh, I would always say go with your gut, get all of the information and then go with your gut. Um, Every child is different. It actually says in the Allergy UK research, there is evidence now showing that early and regular introduction of peanuts in the form of smooth nut butter or powder from four months in those at higher risk because of a family history may actually help reduce the risk of a peanut allergy. And they also mention if there is Uh, an increased risk of eczema in the family, then again, introducing from four months can actually be beneficial. Um, Says to ease your mind, it's estimated that 99.8% of babies will not have a severe reaction according to the Allergy UK. And I'll share that link in the show notes below. Again, um, just going with what works for you, your family, your child and yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Please check out the useful links tab below. And as always, if you have any comments, feedback, questions, realtalkformums at gmail.com and Lara, myself and Mags can answer anything that you have. Thank you so much again. Bye.